1: antimony arsenic aluminum selenium and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium and nickel neodymium neptunium germanium and iron americium ruthenium uranium europium zirconium lutetium, vanadium and lanthanum and osmium and astatine and radium and gold protactinium, and indium and gallium <laughs> You're listening to Radio Hawkes Bay, your community access radio station, and I'm Lynn Trafford presenting Hawkes Bay Scientists on Air on behalf of the Hawkes Bay branch of the Royal Society TR. Parangi. This program is your opportunity to meet practicing and recently retired scientists from around the bay. With me in the studio today is George Spears, Hawkes Bay-based agribusiness consultant. Most of George Spears' work since setting up his own business in 1990 has involved agribusiness and trade projects plus various agricultural research projects in China, Middle East, Australia, Japan, Taiwan, Italy and numerous Pacific Basin nations including Fiji, Cook Islands and Papua New Guinea. George Spears has therefore worked mostly in the research and commercialisation of new projects and agribusiness ideas, with nearly all being carried out overseas rather than in New Zealand. How did all this come about? We welcome George Spears to Hawkes Bay Scientists on Air to find out. Hello, George. Hi. It's good to have you in the studio with us this morning. We're going to go right back now. Whereabouts were you born? You're not a Hawkes Bay boy, are you? No, born in Wellington. And where did you go to school, primary school? Primary school at Hereworth. So that's kind of Hawkes Bay then, isn't that's it? That's right. You had a wee touch of Hawkes Bay growing up, Hereworth? Yes. Secondary school?
0: Christ College you ran away yes but I was actually while I was born in Wellington I grew up on the family farm in Central Hawke's Bay so that counts doesn't it it? basically makes me Hawke's Bay it does it makes you a Hawke's Bay boy you just didn't actually get born here
1: secondary school Christ College I'm looking for George a turn moment to science. You've spent your whole life, since you were a young adult, involved in science one way or another. So somewhere along the line, something made you realise that you could get a career out of science. What turned
0: you on? It just developed and grew on me. When I left school, I went overseas Mm. and I was confronted with a lot of science-based projects at that stage and it just grew and developed from there. As a young lad, you went to Fiji. Yes. What happened in Fiji? I went to Fiji under the VSA program and uh, my work over there was to develop a horticultural farm for a orphanage, and you were only church. eighteen, weren't you? Yes, eighteen. Eighteen, yep. working for an yep. orphanage. Yes. Wow. What we? What did you do? Well, the land was uh, covered in scrub, basically, and um, we cultivated or cleared the scrub, cultivated the land, and then planted horticultural crops and vegetables that could be used in the um, orphanage.
1: And did that work? Did yes, it come it did. about okay? Yes,
0: it did. It worked well. yeah So
1: very fertile land you were working yes. with there. Yes. As a young lady of 18, that's a huge project to put the responsibility for success on such a young head.
0: Yes, but um, it was not, for, you know, we didn't think of it that way, just um, that just, was, did it. just did it that Kiwi way. Yeah. <laughs> it's so typical, isn't
1: it, yeah. really? It's just, this is yeah. what we want done, go in there and do it. Yes.
0: And I had farming background, so that, you know. It I made did, it easier.
1: Yeah, that did
0: help, yeah.
1: You revisited that project 10 years later. So I know this is a bit of a leap forward, but we will leap forward to come backwards. But 10 years later, you went back to Fiji to have a look at this Volunteer Service Abroad project. What did you find?
0: Well, to to my pleasure, I found the horticultural unit that I had developed was thriving. And uh, all the objectives that we had at the beginning uh, were being met, basically, and it was producing food for the orphanage and the children, and um, yeah, it was great to see working.
1: It must have been really nice to yes. go back and find yes. that. It, it gives you a sort of warm fuzzy, doesn't it, when yes. you see a success like that. Yeah. 10 years later, so about 28, 29, you go back, and and there it was, so successful. All right, we're going to leap backwards now. You went to uh, Fiji in 1969, so 1970, you're home again. You go off to Palmerston North to Massey University to do an agricultural diploma. Something went wrong there.
0: yeah, well, I was still on Fiji time, and <laughs> we all know um, what that means yes. in, in New Zealand, <laughs> do we not? Yeah, called manana, which <laughs> is basically do it tomorrow. And uh, I didn't, I didn't succeed particularly well in academia in terms of university at Massey. I spent a fair bit of time out on their research farm, Turpaka, um, and yeah, that's possibly where I got some of my yearning for science, but. Um, at the end of that year, I didn't achieve in terms of academics, and um, it was at about that point in time that uh, a good friend of my parents' farming just down the road um, had a had a sit down and talk to me about um, a, a course in Lincoln University called VFM.
1: And what does VFM stand for?
0: Valuation Farm Management.
1: Yep, yeah, Valuation and Farm Management. Yeah. Uh, Why did he think
0: this was a good move for a young George? Because it was a course whereby the opportunities, once you completed it, the opportunities worldwide would open up to you. And he cited several very successful people who had been through VFM and were holding high places in different sectors around the world. And it just appealed to me. There there was a road to the top. And a practical road. And a practical road.
1: And that would, I'm guessing, suit a young George rather yeah. than sitting inside with a book
0: Very all much day, so.
1: every day. So it, it sort of sat alongside you quite nicely. Yes,
0: and to, be part, to, to even get into the VFM, of course, you had to complete a Diploma 1, a Diploma 2. You had to do six months on um, a beef and cattle farm, six months on a dairy farm, six months on a mixed cropping farm, and so all that practical work had to be done before you were even invited to attend a VFM course. So you did your VFM course 72 to 74? Yes.
1: All right. So it's so a wee while back. Are they still doing VFM, do you know, or is it they're under a different
0: guise? I gather it went from a VFM into a Bachelor of Agricultural Science degree, oh, okay. and okay. Then, yeah, it merged at that point. And so it's still else. there, but in a different light. Yes, I gather. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you were quite fortunate to do that then, as it turns out, when yes. you look back on your life now. Correct. A yeah. very good foundation block yes, for you. Yes. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Really good. So seventy-four. You finished that. 75, off you go to do your OE, as happens, with just about everybody in New Zealand that mm-hmm. can, either before study or after study, mm-hmm.
0: off we go. Where did you go to, George? I went to an agricultural consulting firm in the UK, and um, that that sort of formed my overseas experience in agriculture over the formative years. Lug and Gould. Lug and Gould.
1: And they were based where? Head office in Warwick. Yes. In Warwickshire. All right. So you go to Warwick as a young man and you have got this wonderful opportunity laid there in front of you. Now, you told me a couple of really interesting stories off air. So I'm going to ask you to pick one about Mr. Gould's friend that you were sent to talk to about New Zealand farming. Can you tell us that story, because I think it's quite good.
0: Yes, so Mr Gould um, called me into his office one day and said that he had this um, friend who turned out to be one of British aristocracy um, over in Norfolk who wanted to talk to this young lad from New Zealand about pasture management. So off I sat and um, Judy met this very noble person and um, I was stripped to the core because, firstly, I was late. By 30 minutes, it was a four-hour drive. And secondly, I hadn't arrived in the corporate jet. And um, he, dis- he he felt it was a bit um, demeaning that this agricultural consultant that he called upon um, arrived in a car. So, anyway, eventually, once we got through all of those processes, we got round to the business of... Um, what I was there for and uh, we got on very well together and um, he had a lot of um, pasture um, paddocks, fields as they call them in several estates in Norfolk and um, we went through those and we discussed things like um, feed budgeting, pasture management fertiliser programmes, etc, etc as we would do in New Zealand so he was wanting a little bit of Kiwi farming um, experience for his English estate. It's a bit
1: of a hoot isn't it really when you look back on it now you must do a a little chuckle to yourself occasionally. We're not going to dwell in England any longer than that other than you were there for some years you come back in 1978 and you join join the Rural Bank. Now the Rural Bank was an entity of its day I I suppose but something that we in New Zealand took a lot of cognizance of. You had to go there though because you had to do a practicum to sit alongside your study that you did at Lincoln
0: what did they do with you? So the purpose of going to the rural bank was to do the practical work required to become registered a registered valuer after all that was part of my original course and I needed to complete that so valuation farm management for rural bank clients um, mainly in the Hawke's Bay um, it then moved on because of my overseas experience at that stage. The rural bank got me involved in various other lending projects to do with the development of cool stores, harvesters and eventually the sale of the rural bank.
1: The, the kind of work that you were
0: doing here, when we look at the, the time period,
1: 78 to 85, a lot of things were happening in Hawke's Bay at that time as regards horticulture and I guess the beginning of viticulture as well at that time. But people knew Hawke's Bay as the food basket of New Zealand, That's didn't right. we? Yes, they? Yes. So did. a lot for you to get involved
0: in. Yes, there, a lot. Of, a lot of big development projects were happening at that stage in yeah, Hawke's Bay.
1: They were. Yes, they were yes. indeed, and and many of them still there. Yes, they are. They?
0: Yeah. And originally, of course, the Rural Bank. Um, were involved in getting them set up and established. That's right. That yes. was their role, yes, it wasn't was. it? Yes.
1: Did their role change, George, when they became part of the National Bank? Did it disappear, sort of, or did it just morph into something else?
0: Um, to be honest with you, I moved on before that actually happened. Oh, okay. Yes. So right, then. Um, it it was pretty much morphed into the National Bank, from from what I gather, and. Um, yeah, that was that was the end of it. So you moved on, but you went to Ernst and Young. Yes,
1: again on the rural management side yes. of of their business. That was a, a good opportunity for for you, George. I'm thinking large client base in New Zealand. Ernst and Young, very well known
0: and very respected. What did they do with you? So my role there was to help their farming clients. Um, with development projects on the farm in most cases, but also um, it was at that period of time there was a lot of investment in agriculture from third parties. There was the goat investments, um, the deer farming was being set up, forestry syndicates were being set up, and um, those sort of syndicates would start off with their accountant, and their accountant... Um, would come to me, well basically Ernst & Young would be say a partner in Invercargill or a partner in Auckland would come to me and say look we've got this client who wants to do this, that or the other and would you be able to help check out all the figures, make sure it's all going to work properly we don't want our name on it if it's not going to work and so my role was to help their clients with the development of of a lot of big projects around the country.
1: In the 1980s, particularly the late 1980s, we, we had that term, the Queen Street Farmer. Yes. That's really what you're talking about, yes. aren't you? The yes. investor in, in our primary yes. industries yes. Yeah, without actually working the land. Yes, Thank really. goodness for them, really, at that time, because there was a lot of money put into research and practical applications yes,
0: huge, across New Zealand. Huge amount of money. There was. Huge money, but um, it, was, it was difficult for them because they didn't have the in-house farming expertise. And so when one of these big projects would come along to their accountant, um, they would... Have to get some help, and that's where I came in.
1: Yeah, good. And a huge variety for you, also. Yeah, yes. Mostly New Zealand based at this stage with Ernst Young?
0: Not altogether. Some of it was overseas. Okay. For instance, I was sent to London to the Ernst and Young offices in London to help with the development of their deer farming industry okay. in England. That would have been interesting. Yes, it was fascinating. Yeah. I met, met some incredibly uh, well known people. Uh, over there in agriculture and in conservation, some of which uh, you see on TV today.
1: Deer farming was kind of new in New Zealand at that time. I mean, we'd had deer here for a long time, but mostly for people to shoot, I think, rather than to farm for meat or velvet. wild, yeah, wild deer.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: There comes a time where Ernst Young says to George, we want you to shift to Hamilton. Yes. You didn't like that idea, did you? No.
0: No. Because it was too hard for me to get to my my projects because I, I um, had a look at the number of days the Hamilton Airport was closed and it was it was too much for me. It's built I,
1: on a swamp for heaven's sake. Yeah, yeah. And, here.
0: I know, and sometimes I was flying two or three times a week to different parts and I, I just couldn't, couldn't keep my I schedules. Do that. So what did you do? Well, they then offered to set me up in my own practice if I would carry on and do their work. So I stayed in Napier and they um, helped me set up my own business. They were very generous, helped me with equipment and vehicles and everything else, and I carried on working on their projects for them from Napier um, for the next three or four years. But in the in the meantime, um, once I was on my own, um, other projects, other opportunities came to light. And because I'd spent a lot of time overseas, Many of those came from overseas. So we're going to talk
1: just about a wee few, in so much as we are able, because I understand that there are some confidentiality matters here, so we won't touch on any of those. But some of these projects were incredibly interesting. When you look at them from outside, as I am doing, I'm going to start with a particular project that you did in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Can that, we just talk
0: about that one? What happened over there? So the um, the principles of that project um, were basically with the royal family, and they wanted to um, increase the food production in Saudi Arabia. They were already um, well advanced in food production, um, but a lot of Saudi Arabia is desert. And food production in the desert is quite tricky, so um, my role over there was to help them with business planning for increased food production, in particular cattle. Cattle. Yeah. Now, we're talking about cattle farming in the desert. Now, this
1: could not be more different from cattle farming in New Zealand.
0: Yes, so the system over there for, for at that stage for cattle farming was cut and carry. So the big bigger. irrigation systems out in the desert, which you sometimes see the big circular irrigations, you get, you see them from um, from space from the satellite pictures. You mm. grow alfalfa or other um, forest crops under irrigation in the desert, and cut and carry those to. Big barns where they're holding three, four, five thousand head of cattle. In and a
1: barn, in each one? Massive barns,
0: yes. That in is a massive, isn't it? Massive barns, yes. Well,
1: yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine a barn with five thousand no, cattle no, in it, no, really. No. It's so foreign to how we do things,
0: yeah. isn't it? it? It is. And then the, the first thing that struck me about one of these barns was um, the had a huge clock at the entrance, and it was the clock depicting the level of foot and mouth disease amongst the cattle at the time. And um, that was pretty scary because um, yes. I was inside these barns and I was coming back to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, and we, don't want,
1: and we don't want foot and mouth. Foot we, and mouth. We, we go all shaky and shivery at the yes. mere mention of foot and mouth, don't we? So, so foreign. Papua New Guinea, very, very different, very different different sort of vegetation, very different climate. Off you go to Papua New Guinea, part of a business monitoring for the Pacific. What were you monitoring in
0: Papua New Guinea? So the work there was under the Business Mentoring Overseas Programme, that's the New Zealand Business Mentoring Programme, and um, in Papua New Guinea my role was basically again in agriculture, working with one of the university horticultural Properties over there um, to try and increase tropical um, uh, production of c- tropical crops, and there are a lot of Such as what?
1: what? What are we increasing? Poo-poo. I mean, it's not cattle farming here. No. no.
0: So, yeah. Banana, pineapple. So fruit. Those those types of things, tropical fruit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the main the main areas that we were able to um, help them with were applied irrigation and um also fertilizers once again so who was funding all this the work my role there was it's voluntary so oh, okay you were a volunteer volunteering mm-hmm. but the expenses were being met by the business mentoring program oh, okay mm. all right so you had
1: by that stage of course qualified yes. to be a business mentor yes. when that George, did you ever think you would be going overseas to be a business mentor, or do or not?
0: No, because most of the business mentoring I'd been doing was in New Zealand uh, and in Hawkes Bay, and it was you know again agriculture. Um, but uh, yeah, no, when they started up the international site, or well, the overseas, the Pacific. Base inside of it, yeah. They asked me if I would help, and I was pleased to be able to help with. Yeah,
1: that. and two really different projects that we've just talked about there. You have on several occasions been to China. Yes. Joint venture opportunities between China and New
0: Zealand—is this what we're looking at? Yes. The the, the, the Chinese work initially was um, an initiative of the Napier City Council um, to try and and get some business. Going through the sister city relationships. That's always what they're about, aren't yes, they? Yes, yes, yes. And um, it was very successful. And the uh, projects that we did over in China were, were numerous, and um, we had so much, tra- so many trade opportunities between Hawkes Bay and China um, that were able to be developed over a period of time.
1: I'm presuming some would have been successful and others perhaps didn't quite ever get off the ground. When you're exploring possibilities, there's there's some that are going to work and some that aren't, aren't That's there?
0: correct. I remember one such visit, we took up um, 24 different uh, uh, trade opportunities from Hawke's Bay, um, and I believe around about 12 of those um, we found opportunities in China for.
1: That's a good hit, isn't it? Y-
0: Yes, but it's actually not the final hit because it's the number of successful outcomes from those 12. Okay. And that's very hard to measure because my role was to get them introduced, but not to actually make go it work. back year and year after. No, we, we couldn't do that. We could only introduce the opportunities.
1: Did you do a similar thing in Japan? Because yes. you were doing same, same kinds of Japan. business opportunities yes. in Japan. Yes. Did any of those come to fruition, or was it again one of these matching up type opportunities? Matching up again. Matching
0: up. In, mm-hmm. Introducing the opportunities, getting the the people. Um, working together, but then pulling back at that stage. It was impossible to actually be involved in minute detail on all of these things.
1: Well, you'd only ever get one done, wouldn't you, you really, if you were do doing
0: doing that? And on top of that, I had other projects in different parts of the world yes. that I was
1: involved yes. in. So Japan was... and China are very important markets to us yes. in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Aren't they? I'm presuming the sorts of opportunities that you were looking for and taking to Japan and China are ongoing today? Yes, correct. And hopefully will continue to be ongoing. Maybe a little bit messed up by the advent of COVID over the last couple of years. But other than that, do you go back to China and Japan still? Haven't been there there since COVID. Since COVID? No, No. Okay, so what
0: has COVID done to your business? So COVID has has basically put several projects on hold, projects such as in um, Pakistan, projects in Papua New Guinea um, and and other parts of the world that um, I'm not really able to finish. Because of the travel restrictions.
1: Yeah, it's been a difficult time for all sorts yes. of businesses, yes. Yes. hasn't it, yes, George? It has. Yes. it has indeed. Thank you, George Spears, agribusiness consultant, registered valuer, and accredited business mentor. Thank you for being my guest on Hawkspace Scientists on Air. Lincoln University offers a variety of courses, including online study, that covers horticulture, commerce, environmental management, and policy, also wine and viticulture. The The university also offers a summer school program and a variety of diploma programs as well. Hit Google. There is also much online about career opportunities with Ernst & Young, including various student programs. Similarly, hit Google to find the monthly lecture program on offer from the Hawke's Bay branch of the Royal Society. You would be welcome to attend any of them. Please join me every Monday morning to meet another practicing or recently retired scientist. I'm Lynn Trafford.
0: This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawks Bay, a community access media station. Thank you to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.